0: If you have a Bible, I want you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, and the 7th chapter, Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and verses 36 through 50 will be, our, will be our text, and if you have a bulletin and an insert, you might want to get that out, we'll, we'll use that, both sides actually this morning, there's a front and a back, and, and uh, you may have already noticed that, we'll, we'll get to that second side in just a, just a little bit. Luke and his orderly account here in in this section is going to move from general to specific. You know, sinful people are really good at grouping people in different sections, right? There's this group and that group. There's us and them. uh, And and the two groups that have been consistently portrayed through Luke's gospel are the Pharisees and the scribes, right? The moral, the religious, and, and then the sinners and the tax collectors on the other side. And so far in Luke's gospel... They've just been generally spoken of. Today, it gets a lot more specific. We see a a sinful woman in greater clarity, in greater proximity, and then a Pharisee also the same way. So so Luke's been talking general, and now we'll talk specific, and you'll notice that each one of those individuals within those two groups has a a different response to Jesus. And and so the, the title of the sermon is How to Worship Jesus, Not in a, you know, uh, one, two, three steps, but just what it looks like. That would have probably been a better title, what it looks like when you worship Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, the Bible says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, uh, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet, you do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, let's pray together. Father, help us to see clearly that this is not simply a recording of an event that transpired long ago. This is, uh, this is for right now, right here in this place. And so, Father, I pray that your word would be what it is among us, alive and active, sharp and piercing. The Father, we would see here a woman who really understands what's been done for her through forgiveness, how she responds to Jesus in contrast to a self-righteous man. And I pray that you would use this text clearly for us. Teach us, correct us, reprove us, exhort us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to take this text and break it down in these ways. First, we're going to look at the the woman, and we're going to see a few things that are true of her. And then the second half of the sermon, we're going to look at the man. So it's pretty simple, right? So, so some description of her, some characteristics of her life. And then second half will be what's true of the man. And, and, and we'll just let the text do what it's designed to do here in Luke's orderly account and just offer a contrast. But we're not just here to, to write down some details. The whole point of the contrast is that you can take those two examples and then examine your own life. Because the reality is... Each of us in the room are lining up a little bit more either behind the self-righteous man and how he interacts with Jesus or the sinful woman and how she interacts with Jesus. Okay, so we're all on the same page. That's where we're going to go. And we're just going to say four things about the woman. And I tried to make them all sound the same. So maybe they'll be a little bit more memorable. So here are the four things. You don't have to get them all down at once. We're going to talk about them each in turn. Four things that I see from this text, as I've prayed over it and studied it, about her, about, about the woman. We're going to talk about her determination, her preparation, her isolation, and then her declaration. All right, so that's where we're going. Let's talk about them one at a time. So first of all, her determination. Look with me again in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now remember, this is right on the heels of the Pharisees' criticism of Jesus was what? That he eats with who? sinners and tax collectors and so this pharisee up and decides well i'll invite him over to my house which is which is by the way a lot more than most of the pharisees were doing but that's the man and we'll get to him in a moment our fo- our focus right now is the lady so he went into the pharisee's house and took his place at the table now look at verse 37 and what's your bible say behold a woman of the city now when the scripture he uses that word behold it's sort of an exclamation point right it's saying this is out of the ordinary okay this is not what was expected i mean it's the same word by the way right around the corner from christmas time and behold i bring you great news of a uh, good news of great joy which will be for all people for unto you this day in the city of david is born for you a savior amen who is christ the lord it's the same word it's calling attention to the, this is an event uh, quite unexpected that this woman would enter this man's house. And behold, a woman of the city. Now that's a, that's a polite way of describing her life and lifestyle and occupation. A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him weeping, she anoint, began to anoint his, his feet. So first of all, what I see in her is determination. A determination that uh, kind of cuts through what would have been expected in those days. It, it, in other words, she's going beyond the bounds of what the culture, the society had said this, this is acceptable, not acceptable. A woman like this would just not enter a Pharisee's house and begin to do the things that she begins to do. We're usually, by the way, determined to do the things we want to do, right? Right. We, we, we usually do what we want to do. She's determined. She hears Jesus is in the city. She hears Jesus is at this house. She's determined to get there, even though, even though this is not how it usually works. You know what I mean? She, she's, she's stepping beyond what's typically expected. And so a simple question for you this morning is, is this how how we approach worship i mean just think about this morning were you determined to worship jesus today Uh, no matter what happened in a schedule i mean uh, put it this way what's required to knock you off the course of getting to jesus draw near to me i'll draw near to you i mean is it a lot that has to knock you off the course or is it just something kind of shallow and simple and okay well i'll do it get around to pursuing jesus tomorrow. This is not a passive attitude that she has. This is not something she will do if she has the time to do it. She makes the time to do it, right? I mean, when you love Jesus and worship Jesus, it's not a list of, it's not your on your to-do list. It is your to-do list, right? It's just one thing. Honoring Jesus is not something she fits into her schedule. It is her schedule. And so as I studied this text, I just sort of asked myself, what, when was it and where was it that she had heard about Jesus. So I want you to hold your spot in Luke 7, and I want you to go back with me to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. And this is a... Um, Matthew 11 is the same time frame as Luke 7, okay? So different Gospels, but they track along the same uh, storyline. And, and Jesus says something in Matthew 11. It's not recorded in Luke 7 but it happens about the same time we know this because Matthew 11 see if you just read Matthew 11 verse 2 now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ he sent word by the disciples and said to him are you the one who is to come or should we look for another now you know that's what we've been talking about from Luke 7 right I mean we did that we, we did that series of sermons through John the Baptist sending word to Jesus and so so I just want you to see it's about the same time frame and look at Matthew chapter 11 and it's something that Jesus says verse 25 At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone in whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And you're going to recognize these words, I think come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now you don't have to raise your hand this morning but if is anyone here 100 percent slam worn out just like down to the no not worn out to the bone worn out to the soul and this is just, these are the people that Jesus is talking to. Come to me, all who are weary. Now, you heard her description, a woman of the city, a sinner. And, and I just, as I studied this, and, and I'm just wondering if she'd heard these words, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. A woman who had found no rest in her life, no matter what she had tried to do. She spent her life having things taken from her. Everybody that she's met has taken from her. She spent her life being dishonored and cast aside. And then here comes one who comes not taking from her, but offering to her. And she kneels and prays in that Pharisee's house. And it's a kind of an awkward scene. I mean, they're sitting down to dinner, right? I mean, can you imagine the whole meal and the Pharisee said I mean, yeah, everybody's sitting there. And it's nice, polite company. And then all of a sudden from the door appears this woman from the city you know, she, she can't afford nice clothes. She, who, who knows what she looks like as she comes in and she's just weeping and she kneels before Jesus. And can you imagine the, conver- the dinner conversation just interrupted until everybody's just kind of quiet and all you could hear is her weeping on the ground and it's just this awkward kind of scene. And as she kneels and prays, she doesn't have one eye on the clock. Worship is not a specific period of time to her, but a specific way of life. And she risks embarrassment, ridicule, criticism, discomfort, in order to display her love for Jesus. It reminds me of what David said in the Old Testament, how can I make a sacrifice unto God that costs me nothing? That's what David had said. And so when it comes time to give Jesus honor, she could have approached the house and said, yeah, it's probably not a good time to do this right now. I'll wait till he leaves or so on. But there's a determination. So the first thing I'm asking you just real simple is, do you have a determination in your life to honor Jesus? Or do you find times and places you say, well, this isn't the right time or place? Simple application is there's no wrong time or place to give honor and devotion and worship to Jesus. She's determined to do it. She's not passive about it. And secondly, secondly, first we see her determination. Secondly, we see her preparation. She doesn't come to honor him with empty Hands, the Bible says, standing behind, his, uh, standing behind him at his feet, so there's a certain posture about it, right? Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and, um, uh, and head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. And the ointment goes back to verse 37. There was an alabaster flask of ointment. So she brought something with her, didn't she? Now, an alabaster flask of ointment is, without a doubt, her most valuable possession. I mean, this is the the most valuable thing that she has in her life. And she brings this to Jesus and and lays it literally at his feet. And their principle is uh, self-evident, right? What is it in your life that's most valuable? You know, too often we approach worship of the Son of God sort of with a yawn and a stretched arm, and what time is it, and is it time to go? That's not how her attitude is, is it? She brings to him what's most valuable and puts it down at his, at his feet. Now, Jesus is not after your most valuable possession so much as he's after you, right? The, the, the point is not for you to bring your most treasured possession, but the point is that in worship, you, you bring yourself. Now, when you, when you come into the presence or you seek the Lord, you want to come with preparation. The application is not to go home and find your most valuable perfume or your, or your uh, favorite whatever, the preparation is that you bring yourself. And so when you spend time with the Lord, you want to come with preparation. And so, so that's the flip side of your handout. So if you'll just flip it over, I want to share that with you, how you, how you can prepare yourself or come to the Lord with preparation. So that's just that's what, I've, what I've given there on, on that outline is oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, I want to spend time with God and I want to worship him and I want to read his word, but I just don't really know how to do it. And, and again, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe that's been true in your life. I want to get in the Word. I want to study it, but I don't know where to start, and I don't know how to do it. And so that's what this is, is a form of, of, of preparation. For example, on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, when it's not all of us gathered here in this place, you want to seek the Lord when nobody else is around. And by the way, the Scripture tells us to do that, right? When you pray, go into your closet and close the door, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so I love corporate worship, Right? But if you want to really seek the face of the Lord, you, you 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 do it when nobody else is around. But how do you do it? And that's what this that's what this outline is. So so first of all, first of all, you want to get your Bible, you want to open it up. And by the way, if uh, if this is a new habit for you or a new discipline, you don't want to start, say, with Revelation or Malachi. You want to start with something like 1 John or the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke. And then you open up your Bible. And uh, there are no lack of uh, resources in our day for Bible reading plans and so on. So you want to have a plan. You don't just open it up and, oh, where am I going to start today? It's an orderly revelation. So so you want to read it. First of all, read it through. And I just want to say just real carefully here, most of us know how to read, but we don't quite know how to read. And what I mean is you want to get with God's word and you want to get away from distractions. You don't want to have your Bible here and your cell phone here. You know what I mean? Have you noticed we're getting less and less able to really communicate with each other? Have you noticed this? You've been talking to anybody lately and then all of a sudden they're kind of talking to you and they're half talking to you and all of a sudden they're looking at the phone and they're kind of looking at you and kind of listening and then they're scrolling and then they're texting somebody back and you're still talking to them. Has this happened to you? I mean, we're getting crazy. It's like this a communication revolution and the irony is we're doing less and less communicating. And if you're not careful, your whole brain just kind of fizzles out. You know what I mean? And and, and they call it multitasking. That's a that's a euphemism, it's not multitasking, it's actually doing a whole lot of nothing, that's what you ultimately do. you're just doing a whole lot of nothing in a whole lot of different ways, and your mind is in a thousand places and nowhere at the same time, so when I say read it through, what I'm talking about is you get along with the word, and you put, see, see, here's how you know, here's how you know if you've taken it too far, you try this, you open up the word, and if you get about 30 seconds in, and all of a sudden you're unconsciously reaching for your cell phone, you know, man, you're in it too deep, and you need to step out fast, you know what I'm saying? So so you get away from distraction, you get away from the cell phone, get away from the television. I mean, we're inundated everywhere. My family, to this moment, is trying to find somewhere we can go out to eat where there's not five flat screens going on at the same time. And one person's watching that, and one person's watching that. And I mean, you can't even fill up your gas tank anymore without the screen in your face. The more screen in your face, the less oftentimes opportunity there is for the Spirit to speak. So you get away from distraction. I always like to just remind you, I can assure you, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, I sure wish you'd have watched a little more television. He's not going to say that. So you don't want to fill your life up. Okay, getting off task. Coming back. Read it through. What I mean by that is take a portion of Scripture. Take a chapter, for example. Uh, Read it all the way through. I I have in my mind, if... uh, uh, there, there were no cell phones at this dinner but if there were everybody would have been kind of they're just so distracted the, so first of all read it all the way through secondly think it out so it's not enough just to read it and then close it and say okay i check check that little box off ever been there i'm going to read my bible through and i'm just race through it and okay got it done check that box it's, we're not checking a box the point is not to finish the point is to change this is a book unlike any other book, all right? You pick up most books, or you get a history book or a novel or whatever, you just want to get through it. You don't want to just get through it, you want it to get through to you, all right? So you read it all the way through, and then secondly, you think it out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and so when you read it through, you want to follow that up with thinking it out. And so here's a couple of questions that, you, that are helpful to ask, and they're right there on your insert. Is there a promise to believe? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there an example to follow or, as it may be, not to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? So uh, you kind of talk to the book. <laughs> I mean, it's alive and it's active. You talk to the book and it'll actually talk back. It doesn't start going, you know, now you need to. But, but, it'll, but it'll speak to you. It's the word of God. It's alive. It's active. It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And, and so if you come to the Bible and you find yourself bored with the Bible, the problem's not with the Bible. The problem's with you, if I can say that. I think I just did say that that clearly directly. And then third, you want to pray it in. Prayer and Bible study are like breathing. Can you imagine trying to just either breathe in or breathe out and not do the other? I mean, just try it right now, all right? Everybody breathe in and just keep breathing in. Just keep breathing in, breathing in, breathing in. You reach a limit, don't you? Now breathe out how far i mean somebody could set the record in here who could breathe out the longest but ultimately at some point you're going to find this huge desire to what breathe back in right you take the word of god in and then you pray it back out you take it in or pray it back out somebody who says that they read the bible and don't pray you're only halfway breathing spiritually speaking and somebody who prays without reading the bible i don't know where you're getting your information to pray so so if you if you try to pray and you haven't read the Scripture. You don't know who you're talking to or what you should be talking about and then if you try to read the bible without praying you've got a huge disconnect because now it's become just a mental exercise and not spiritual life so you think it and what are you praying you pray god's word back to him for example in luke chapter 7 you see this woman's determination and i pray god i don't have this kind of determination in my life help me help me father i don't give to you what's most valuable to me. Help me. You take what God's word has said and revealed and you pray it back to him. So read it through, think it out. Three, pray it in. Four, write it down. Adrian Rogers says the weakest ink is better than the best memory. So, so I think uh, just as an encouragement to you, every believer who wants to follow Jesus needs to have an open Bible and then a notebook sitting nearby. Anybody remember my sermon from two months ago? I don't, right? Not if I didn't write it down. Not if I didn't think it through, and I'm, and, and I'm by no means saying that the most important thing to do is remember my sermon two months ago. That's not what I'm getting at. But if you listen to, to Bible teaching, whether it's here at Calvary Baptist Church, or, you know, I try to listen to two or three good sermons a week. If you don't write it down a week later, you're not going to remember it. Now, you might think, oh, I'll never forget this, but I, I spent some time uh, this past week going over my sermon notes from 2010, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and I began to read some things that God had revealed to me, and I said, I didn't remember that. And I didn't remember that, and I didn't remember that. You want to write it down. Get a notebook and write things down. You don't have to fill up page after page after page on a given day. Just jot a few things down. Sins to avoid, commands to obey, examples to follow, lessons to learn, promises to, to believe. Then regularly go back and read over what you've, what you've learned. You know, Take Saturday night. Instead of taking Saturday night like uh, we too often do and sitting there and, again, watching the screen, take your notebook out and think back through what God's taught you in the week. Number five, we're talking about preparation, right? Number five, live it out. Don't just write it down and say, well, that was a nice thought. No, now you live it out. Examine how you worship, if you're taking this text. And then number six, pass it on. And the scripture says, exhort one another and encourage one another. You can't give somebody a cup of water if your own well is dry, right? And as you study the Word of God, it's amazing to me. It's just, when I'm walking with the Lord and in the Spirit and in the Word and I'm learning things from the Scripture, how frequently I interact with people who they actually need to hear what God is teaching me and it encourages them and it exhorts them as you pass it on. And if you just trace it back through, you're not going to have anything to pass on if you're not living it out. You're probably not going to live it out if you're not writing it down. You're not going to write it, you know, it all starts with reading it through. So there's a preparation. Do you prepare for worship? Not just on Sunday morning, but all through the week. You have to have this determination I'm going to do this, and then follow it up with preparation. Third thing I see here is her isolation. She did all of this by herself. Nobody came with her. Nobody told her to do it. She's not a crowd follower. There's not a line at the door waiting to do what she's doing. She's by herself. There will rarely ever be a lot of people who have a deep determination and preparation to exalt Christ. So if you're going to do it, oftentimes you'll find yourself isolated. You might be the only one on your whole street, the only one at your work, The only one in your school, the only one in your home who really has a heart for Jesus. Though none go with me, what's the song? I still will follow. This woman wasn't waiting. Her desire was not to please the crowds, but to please Christ. So there's her determination, her preparation, then her isolation, and then the fourth, her declaration. She has something to say. I want you to examine this text and look for the words that she says in this text. Did you see them? Of course, you don't. She doesn't actually say anything, but she says a whole lot. She doesn't speak, but her life is a declaration. Oftentimes, our actions do really speak louder than our words. So, so she declares that she loves Jesus. Because look down what he says. Therefore, verse 47, I tell, tell you, her sins, which aren't many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So a simple application question for you. If somebody examined your actions, would their conclusion be that you love Jesus much? This followed you around tomorrow. At the end of the day, after they've seen everything that you've done, would the conclusion be, well, she, he must really love Jesus. Would it be possible to follow you around day after day after day and not really get that? No, he's a nice man. He's a polite man. He, he, he's a respectful man. Those are all the things that they would have said of the Pharisee. And so that's well, let's make a little transition here. Everybody still all right? Now we've looked at the woman. Now let's look at the Pharisee. So in, in summary, the, the, the woman, her worship, her devotion, her love of Jesus is just out there. Her declaration is clear. Her isolation is obvious. Her preparation is and her determination now let's look at the pharisee and i just want to list seven things that i wrote down about the pharisee number one he does more than most of the other pharisees do towards jesus it says in verse 36 one of the pharisees asked him to eat with him right Uh, i mean there wasn't a long list of pharisees inviting jesus to come in and eat with him he's just he's just the only one he he invites jesus in and he does more than most Secondly, he's respectful towards Jesus. He sets a place for him at his table. He says, sit down here and eat with me. And when Jesus asks him a question, he responds with a very respectful, verse, verse 40, say it, teacher, capital T. It's a, it's a, it's a word of respect. It's a word of, of, of reverence. Third, he listens to what Jesus has to say. He says, when, when, when Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you, he doesn't say, I don't want to hear that. I don't care about that. He says, say it, teacher. He listens to what Jesus has to say. And fourthly, he answers Jesus's question correctly, right? After Jesus shares with him, Simon, verse 43, answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So when it comes time to answer Bible questions, he can answer the questions correctly. Number four, Uh, So so think of those four things. He does more than most. He's respectful towards Jesus. He listens to what Jesus has to say. And he answers Jesus' question correctly. And it's it's here we want to be a little careful. Because those are the very same things that can be said of the average church member, right? Respectful, listening, listening even answering correctly, and doing more than most. But I want to give you three other things that we see of the Pharisee. And here's where we want the Scripture to examine us. Number five, he does not worship Jesus. He's respectful. He's, he's kind. But he's not worshipful. No getting down on the knees here there's <laughs> no, 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 no crying here he's moral he's religious and he doesn't worship and it can be true if we're not careful to be an active faithful church member but not really worship jesus number six he is a quiet critic of sinners Look what he says here. Verse number 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would not—he he have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. She's a sinner. He doesn't say it out loud, right? He says it quietly. The, the, uh, the, the quiet criticism is a hallmark of the self-righteous. The quiet critics are always going to, he's not going you know, to stand up and say, he's just going to get a couple other self-righteous people. believe They get off in corners of rooms and mumbling and grumbling. And it's not just him. Look what it says. Verse 49, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He's a quiet critic of sinners. And I just want you to see those things are connected. He doesn't worship Jesus, so he's a quiet critic of sinners, their behavior, their lifestyle. It's them, them, them. And never allows the Spirit of God to examine him. Why do, you see the, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and don't see the plank that's in your own eye? Number seven, he thinks Jesus should have nothing to do with this woman. Isn't that what he says? Oh, if this man were really a prophet... And in that statement alone, he gives evidence that he has no idea what prophets really do. And he has no idea what Jesus has really come to do. I mean, to get to a Pharisee, to to get on the level of a Pharisee, I mean, you had to work hard. You had to have the book of Psalms. Are you ready for this? You had to have the book of Psalms memorized. The five books of the law memorized. So if we were to say, hey, look up Exodus chapter 33, he doesn't have to look it up. He's got it, but he's not got it. He knows it. He doesn't believe it. There's a great difference between respecting Jesus and worshiping Jesus. There's a great difference between being polite towards Jesus and broken before Jesus. There's a difference between listening to his lessons and living for his love. And it's extremely important for us to take these two specific examples and examine ourselves. And then Jesus does something fascinating here to the polite, reverent, respectful, attentive, prepared with an answer Pharisee, he uses an object lesson. (laughs) And you know he uses as the object lesson? The woman. And, And this is exactly contrary to what the Pharisee had in mind. Jesus uses her to teach him. I love verse 40. Jesus answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, (laughs) I want us to know that this is a statement that Jesus makes to Simon, but it's also a statement that Jesus makes to us. So I don't want to stretch the scripture too much, but I do think in one way, Jesus said, Brandon, I have something to say to you." you. Can you imagine that moment? The eyes of the Son of God locked on Simon. says, I've got something I need to say to you. And so he says, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, so they're both debtors. There's just, just a difference between how much they owe. A Denarii is about a day's wage. So we're talking about a pretty good amount of money. When they could not pay. You see verse 42? When they could not pay. Now... the Pharisee Pharisee always wants to make the distinction between how much is owed. Jesus is making the point, it doesn't matter how much you owe, neither one of you can pay it back. It doesn't matter if you owe $50 million or $50,000. The whole point of it is is that it's more than you can pay back. So there are no no non-debtors in the world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, okay, so he's using her as a lesson for Simon. This woman that Simon wanted nothing to do about, in fact, couldn't even believe she's in his house. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, so Jesus isn't glossing over that fact, (laughs) the sins, which are many, are forgiven, but for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. Isn't it amazing that Jesus uses the life of a forgiven person to be an example to the self-righteous? And he said to her. I want you to see that. It doesn't say he said to them. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those at the table with him begin to say among themselves. See, that's how the self-righteous always are. We're going to get around the table with ourselves like-minded people like us and and we're going to get around and we're going to start criticizing here at our table. (laughs) You ever find yourself at a table like that? Get up and walk out. (laughs) Who is this who even forgives sins? There's only one person in the room that we're shown here who really knows who he is and that's the woman at his feet wiping his feet with her hair. Who is this who even forgives sins? What they're asking is, who does he think he is? He's coming here as our invited guest, and now he's going to sit here and say that her sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you, he says to her. Go in peace. Now, just all over the scripture, so I do want to say it. It's her faith that saved her, not her works. She's saved by her faith, not by her... anointing of his of his feet in fact she anoints his feet not to be saved but because she is saved she she anoints his feet not to get his love but because he said come to me all who are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest he she had responded to that invitation and now her response to that invitation is this devotion well let me tell you who this is that even can forgive sins first of all he's one who is determined We're not too far off from Luke's making this statement. He set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He's going to go to Calvary. He's determined. Nothing's going to interrupt him. Nothing's going to uh, knock him off course. He's determined. Secondly, he's prepared. He knows what he's going to offer when he gets to Jerusalem. And it's not going to be a flask of ointment. It's going to be his body. This is my body crucified for you. And it's one who's going to be isolated. There's nobody else going to be up on that cross with him. It's just going to be him. And he's going to be forsaken by everybody. And then it is the one who's going to make a declaration. It is finished. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. The just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinful, that our sins may be forgiven. And I have to tell you, when we think of the one who's determined, the one who's prepared, the one who's isolated, and then the one who makes a declaration, polite, respectful, here's a little seat at the table if you want to come in and eat with me, is not enough. Not if we really know what he's done. The only appropriate response is, I don't care what anybody else thinks of this. I'm going to go kneel at his feet, anoint his feet with my tears, take what's most valuable to me and pour it out for his, under his, uh, submitted to him, under his lordship, under his authority. And yes, they're going to criticize. Yes, they're going to make fun. Yes, they're going to say that's inappropriate. But by his grace, may my life declare that he alone is Worthy. So I just would prayerfully invite you to take a look at these two people, and then our invitation is simple. Which one are you more like? The sinful woman or Simon the Pharisee? Let's stand together and we'll pray together. We're gonna to have our invitation and then we're gonna reserve a little bit of time at the end to pray over our Operation Christmas Child uh, shoe boxes that we're gonna send out. But let's stay here in keeping with the text in examining this scripture. We've read it through. Prayerfully, we've thought it through. I want to pray it in. Write it down. Think it out. Excuse me, live it out. Pass it on. So in thinking it through, as best I know how, by the grace of God, I've tried to l- lay out before you two individuals. The sinful woman. Her sins are Many. There are places in that city that she's unwelcome, uninvited. But Jesus said, come to me. So she didn't come to Jesus at the Pharisees' invitation. She came to Jesus at, at Jesus' invitation. Though your sins be many, have you heard his invitation? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you Rest. He's died for you, crucified for your sins. The wrath of God completely satisfied, as we've sung about. His invitation is to come to him so that you may go in peace. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as an eternal, substitutionary, atoning sacrifice for your sins? If not, the invitation is open. Secondly, if you're a believer, have you come to a season of life where If you're honest, you lack some determination and preparation. For whatever reason, circumstances, days have begun to go by that that you're not determined to pursue Jesus. And you may use this time of invitation simply to pray this in, to pray this in, not inward, but upward. But pray this, God grant me your grace that you would give me a determination to pursue you to love you above all things, even when it's uncomfortable or goes against what people expect. I don't want to be a crowd pleaser. I want to be a Savior pleaser. Third, would the Holy Spirit use the Word of God to pinpoint some areas in your life that actually do look a whole lot like Simon the Pharisee? You have respect towards Jesus, but not worship of Jesus. You listen to Him and can even answer questions about what He says but your heart is actually far from him. You're prone more to legalism than a loving liberty in the Lord. Father, I pray we would not be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves, but doers. Your word is alive and it is active. Here is the one to whom I will look, declares the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit trembles at my word prayerfully your word's been declared this morning and here's the one that you look to during this time of invitation the humble those who are willing to say yes yes some of this pharisees in me i quietly critic i'm a quiet critic of sinners my heart's far from the lord i don't worship him as i should father use this invitation time not that we would be passive but that we'd be active worshipers of the lord we pray for your holy spirit to lead our time To respond in a way that's appropriate to the Word of God. In humble, kneeling before you. In quiet, standing and and thinking. Or throwing ourselves at the merciful feet of Jesus. Saying, yes, my sins are many. but, But He's mighty to save. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.